just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. It's always doubt with us every year. It's like, oh, well, the Saints can't do this because something, or, you know, Drew's gone and it. I don't, I'm the wrong person to ask because I don't care. And I'm coming in every year thinking we're going to be the shit. What up? Welcome back to Black and Gold BS, the irreverent Saints podcast from Boot Crew Media, presented by AGI Specialty Valves and Zapardo's Family Market. I'm Jacob Krasno, alongside my trusty co-hosts, Allison Pratt and Sean Haspel. Bryce doesn't exist, so nobody knows if he's here or not. Um, all right. Uh, the game was bad. <laughs> it was a, a bad week. Saints lost to the Vikings 27-19 to in Minnesota. Game played out pretty much like we said it would, which is becoming a familiar refrain. You know, the Saints are nothing if not steadily mediocre this year. Um, Josh Dobbs lit us up. Then we shut him down. We almost came back because Derek Carr got hurt and Jameis Winston entered the game and lit everybody's hair on fire. Um, I'll say... Before we get into it, that I wasn't super upset about this loss because I expected us to play the way that we did, and I wasn't particularly let down by anything. It just, this seems like a team that is going to be good some weeks, and then some weeks it's going to suck. Um, we're still in first in the division. But uh, all right, y'all. Tell me what you thought was BS about this game. That's a very loaded loaded question, Jacob. Allison, ladies first. I gotta say, like I don't agree on feeling like I saw this coming. I saw I saw a painful experience coming because that's what every week of watching them has been: win or lose mostly but like i just cannot believe like the offense we trot out there every week is like it just feels like there was no game plan created and that was why when Jameis came in it was so exciting because he didn't even think about the boring game plan that was the same game plan as last week he just did what he wanted to do (laughs) and it worked better yeah it's it's pretty stark uh, when you look at Chris Olave's statistics, um, like when he's playing with Jameis Winston versus yeah. Derek Carr. Like he had one target when Carr was in the game, and then he finished the game with like nine targets, seven catches, one of the best touchdown catches we've seen all year. Um, personally. And I think you all, Allison, I know you agree with me, Sean. I don't know about you, so maybe you can chime in. I I wouldn't mind seeing Jameis Winston get another shot because the team was a lot more fun to watch. It's so painful without that. It was like a shot of life. Granted, like you live and you die by it, but like, and this is just like a quick pivot because I didn't finish it in my BS part, but like I think that by now everyone in the whole universe knows about the Taysom Hill stat, except our coaching staff. (laughs) Like, it's like, oh, we're 18 and one when he runs the ball 
seven times. And then they're like, oh, you know what we're going to do today? We're just going to throw it to him four times. Like, I don't under Like, everyone in the world is talking about that statistic. Yeah. And he didn't, I think he got like one rushing attempt on Sunday. Yep. And that was in the first half. Because I remember looking in the first half being like, hey, we're down. <laughs> we need so many touchdowns. Like, how how, how many times have you given him? One. And then the total was still one because we were chasing at the end. But it's like, it just baffles my mind that, like, we think this is a product to put out on the field. Like, easiest schedule in the league, healthiest roster in the league. Five and five. Yeah. So the thing with Jameis compared to Carr is, like, it was exciting and, like, injected some often some like energy into an otherwise lifeless offensive performance from the saints. But like, I'm just kind of agnostic about the whole thing or apathetic maybe is a better word for it. Just because it's not like a sustainable thing. And I'm just thinking like long-term, like we paid Derek Carr to be our franchise quarterback. And if that's dead on arrival, then like, what are we even doing here? It's, I don't know. It's just, it's all just like kind of depressing. Like we either don't have a franchise quarterback and, or we don't have a coaching staff that knows what to do with him to make him successful. Some combination of the both. I personally think it's a combination of the both. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's a perfect, uh, like deadly cocktail of, Derek Carr is not Drew Brees. He's like barely above average. He's playing in an offense that was designed for Drew Brees. And he's being coached by coaches that were propped up by Drew Brees. So. I was listening to Bill Simmons podcast. Yes. Today. And he was like, I'm not even like they, I guess he bet on the saints and he was like, kicking himself for it. He's like, why would I ever bet on Dennis Allen? Like, I'm not even sure he's awake. And like, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I am not sure that he's awake. I'm not sure he's awake during the game. I'm not sure he's awake during a press conference. He's just like a robot that says the same thing. We're not considering coaching changes. I'll address the injuries later. We're going to keep yeah. doing what we're doing. <laughs> like, oh my like God. is he awake? <laughs> I think the most depressing thing, and Sean, you can, uh, I, I think you have some pretty strong thoughts about this, but I think the most mm-hmm. depressing thing about this week to me is not necessarily the loss, but it's the fact that the Buffalo Bills yep. that have a top 10 defense, and, or um, excuse me, a top 10 offense, in pretty much every statistical category. They have a rising star at offensive coordinator, former Miami Canes quarterback, Hurricanes quarterback, Ken Dorsey. Um, as their offensive coordinator, they fired him after they lost to the, the Broncos on Monday Night Football. Um, the Saints, ostensibly, are a franchise that should be competing with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. We have a roster that is arguably just as talented. Josh Allen is a quarterback that 
has physical traits that Derek Carr does not, but he is not Patrick Mahomes. He is not some super elite Drew Brees, Manning, Marino-esque QB yet. Um, you could argue that a player like Derek Carr in the right system with the right coaches could be that successful and has been that successful before. So if the Bills can make a change like that, why can't we do it? Right. It's so infuriating. It is. And the, it's, it's kind of funny because the Bills are almost the bizarro version of the Saints. We're both five and five. Uh, we both have defensive-minded head coaches. Um, this is Sean McDermott's first head coaching job. Um, but And obviously Dennis Allen, this is his second gig, and he failed at his first. Um, the difference is, though, is that the Bills' offense, uh, despite Josh Allen like leading the league in turnovers, all of the advanced analytics loved the Bills' offense under Ken Dorsey this year. Um, and they ranked in the top five for most of them, top ten for pretty much all of them. And by basically any objective measure, he was like leading a good offense this year, um, despite like turnovers from his quarterback, like insane turnovers too. Yeah. Um, but Sean McDermott basically, despite Buffalo's defense showing cracks, mostly due to injuries, but he basically used Ken Dorsey as a scapegoat, uh, even though Ken Dorsey's side of the ball was upholding the bargain and the head coach's side of the ball wasn't. On the flip side, you've got Dennis Allen, who um, the defense, like despite definitely some struggles this week against the Vikings and on and off throughout the season, like is still a good defense in the NFL. Um, And the offense is clearly not living up to expectations, but he refuses to scapegoat Pete Carmichael because whether he has like personal affection for him or just like professional respect, some combination of the both, um, he refuses to throw Pete Carmichael under the bus despite like having multiple opportunities to like logistically, like the mini buy now it's the bye week um, evidence to with the offense struggling despite being healthy. And it's not like Pete Carmichael had like a resume to stand on of like real success on his own, like out from under Sean Payton's like guidance. So like Dennis Allen has every excuse or reason even to cut bait. There's some really personal shit going on in our coaching tree that's preventing us from making good decisions. Yeah. And we've said it before that like the saints have become a weird reflection of the like good old boy attitude that pervades new Orleans business and politics. It's like just the same people over and over again. Everybody gets their buddy a job, and then they stay in that job until they're fat and useless. And we've I just like I just don't know what ownership is thinking is going to change. Right, and like, there's I th- I think the most depressing thing about this is like this is the second year in a row. You could argue third, like you could like we almost made the playoffs in Sean Payton's last year. Like, which is crazy to think about, but like only because the division is flaming garbage. Like, and that is no reason to keep 
anybody around. No. But like, we're just back in the same place as last year where we were arguing about whether we wanted to make the playoffs or not. Because it's like, well, we're going to give up a pick to the Eagles. Like, I do want to make it, but then if we make it, and by the way, they got a sick pick from that or whatever. Like, and then if we do make it though, then Dennis Allen won't get fired. It's like, but then we got the worst of both worlds where <laughs> we didn't make it and he's not fired. And like the same thing is happening now. Like all week they're just going to be like, well, we're top of the division. It's like of the worst division in football. Yeah. I, I take some solace in the fact that it seems like the fan base is like really, really angry loud about it yeah. this year. And as stubborn as the ownership appears to be, they're not stupid. And they are like aware of the discourse. Sean, Sean is back from an internet interruption. Um, looks like you're on your cell phone now. I am, yeah. Uh, we're experiencing some technical difficulties here. Um, I've got Pete Carmichael over here trying to fix my internet. And uh, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I, but, I hope he keeps doing what he's doing. Yeah, that's honestly, the, that's the thing like, to do. Just he just needs to keep doing what he's doing, and uh, he'll he'll figure it out because he's he's been here before. He's talented. He knows what he's doing for sure. We were just discussing how um, we seem to be heading towards another year of football purgatory where. Mm-hmm. The Saints are good enough to make the playoffs because everybody else is really bad. But we're either going to barely make it or not make it. But it'll be close enough that they can justify keeping everybody on staff. Um, however, it seems like the fans are more angry than they are last year. And, Sean, you have to imagine that like people in the building on Airline Drive are aware that we're pissed. Like, they read Twitter. They go to they go to Rouse's and Win Dixie, and I'm sure they get yelled at. Zapartos. I actually yelled at. They might even go to, they go to They go to Zapardos. Oh, that's right. Well, no, no, they don't go to Zapardos. Zapardos is too good for them. Mm. You know, they've been going to. They they know what quality is. They've been the going to the. There. Yeah, <laughs> they're <there's> listening. Pro- <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what good ownership is like. <laughs> um. You know, there's probably like a rundown uh, Save-A-Lot or something across Airline Drive from the facility. <laughs> Not a sponsor. I, mean, I don't even know if they have stores in New Orleans. But, like, they're probably going there. And it's where they've gone their whole lives. And they don't know any different. And uh, they're too fucking stupid and stubborn to make a change. Another thing that's that we've brought up before, and here we are repeating ourselves again, is that uh, like a lot of the beat reporters have said that the owners don't want to fire anybody because they don't want to be like a classless organization. They don't mm. want to be seen as a place that is like destabilized and is willing to pull the plug on people. But well, who fucking cares about that? Like, right. I just want them to win. I don't care if right. how other people perceive us. Like, like I, I, I don't nobody, even care about Bounty Gate. Nobody else cares. Yeah. Like, like there's plenty of organizations right now that are paying two coaches because they fired somebody. Plenty. Yep. And they're still hiring decent, if not good, candidates because people want to make money and they want to have power. <laughs> That's never changed. 
And like, no one's gonna be like, oh, well, you fired Dennis Allen, who was just like a loyal, steadfast coordinator for your organization for six years before that. It's like, nobody cares. Right. Literally nobody cares. If the uh, cultists at Texas A&M can cut bait on Jimbo Fisher and eat $75 million, then surely we can find another offensive coordinator. Like, just fire these people. They're not doing their job. The penalties? Sean, did you leave? Where'd you go? No, I'm here. Um, You haven't gotten rid of me this easily. Yes. Um, Much like Pete Carmichael. Uh, But, yeah, it it, it is strange. Like, the way this organization operates, um, it's really – I mean, on one hand, like – you don't want a sports owner who is like meddling and like always pivoting and shuffling people in and out. Um, but there's a, there's like a gulf between that and just being like willfully stubborn and clinging on to people who, I mean, we say this in like every episode, but like they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt professionally like they don't have any skins on the like real skins on the wall and in fact they like have kind of failed previously um it's i don't know like nick underhill was saying like nick underhill and mike triplett on their podcast the most recent one they were saying that like like we could lie and and tell you that like the offense is going to like find its footing and get better but at some point like you just are what you are and like people are only capable of evolving so much um especially like in the football world like mid-season and so without any dramatic changes this is what the saints offense is and like the fact that like that was our healthy offense what frustrated me and this is something that just kind of like crystallized for me on Sunday was that the Vikings were able to put 24 points in the first half on what is like by any objective measure, a good defense. They were able to do that with a, like a journeyman quarterback who'd been there for like barely over a week missing their star skill player yeah, and having like a few other key offensive players banged up. They were able to carve up a good D because like that is what their offensive system and like their offensive coaching brain trust allows for. Conversely, our offensive system has all of these like highly paid players going like Mike, Mike got hurt pretty early in the game, but like, we were healthy coming into that game, basically almost our entire offensive too deep. And we couldn't do anything against like a okay defense. I mean, um, they, then they, they were banged up too. And just the contrast between our coaching staffs and the product that they put on the field was just so stark to me. That was like what made this game so upsetting. Greg Rosenthal, the 
Twitter, I mean the like football writer, um, formerly of Pro Football Talk, he like had a really profound tweet that was like, if the Saints and Vikings had switched coaching staffs, the Saints win that game. And it's like not a very like it's like a pretty like obvious thing to say, but it's like very true. It like we were arguably the more talented team on the field, but we didn't have a coaching staff that had us prepared for the game. And then besides like some Jameis Winston bullshit, we like couldn't do anything. Um, you know, I was so the coaching is clearly like we we know it's horrible and it's the reason why we even mediocre. Yeah. One of my friends sent me this video because I think the world and we'll, we can get back to the Jameis versus Carr talk at some point, but like I think the world appreciated having Jameis back in their life, even if for less than a half of football on Sunday. Yeah. Universe, myself included. Um, one of my friends sent me a video of the game where he tore his ACL in 2021 yeah. um, in the Bucks game and then like was celebrating in the locker room on his crutches after we won the game, right? And like that game is when Trevor Simeon's coming in against Tom Brady, right? We were texting, we had no doubt we were gonna win that game anyway. Yeah. Right, like with somebody that is certainly less good than Derek Carr. Right. Um, with a less talented wide receiving core by far. And mm -hmm. arguably like most of the same veteran bones on the defense with Dennis Allen being the defensive coordinator. And like, I, we had no doubt that we would figure it out. Like I'm on the other end where like, we just trot out there with our like first team. And I'm like, we're not going to win this game. No. Like that is because of who is leading the team. Yeah. Everything yeah. else is the same. And it's exactly to your point about that tweet. It's like, it starts with coaching, right? It starts yeah. and ends with coaching. Our yeah. worst fear about Dennis Allen has been true since day one. It was true then, and it's true now. They are playing a Sean Payton cover band. Mm. And it sucks. It's not as good as the uh, the real thing. And it never will be. Yeah. And that's that. Just is we, what it is. I we fucking hate about, that phrase, but... We talked about it last week, but like, I think the fact that we lead the league in penalties and it's like a known thing and Dennis Allen and his staff have no answer for it is like one of the most damning indictments because I mean, that's, it's, I mean, it's cliche to say that like a team that gets a lot of penalties is like undisciplined and like poorly coached and stuff, but it's it's true, especially when it's like pre-snap penalties. Um, There's no excuse for that at the professional level. No, well, like it's it's one thing if like the refs blow a PI call or something like that, but if you're an NFL athlete, you should be smart enough to know what the snap count is. You so, should. No, not to jump off sides or have a false yeah. start. Yeah. Um, the most egregious one by far, and you guys will remember this from this week and arguably the whole season, was Rashid Shahid lining up off sides. Like, 
offsides on an offensive player is so incredibly rare. Like, yeah. I don't remember the last time. Well, I I, when they calls. called it offsides, I was like, yes. And then they were like, on the offense. Right. And, and, and if you remember that play negated a beautiful, beautiful connection to Chris Olave and like, like that's like a process thing. Like, you know, I mean, you guys literally see it every Sunday and Saturday if you watch college football, like the wide receiver lines up, checks with the ref and, and like a lot of times the ref will be like, you need to move back. And they'll be like, okay. And they like give a thumbs up to the ref and the ref will give a thumbs up to them. The ref will literally <laughs> tell you. Oh, you're off sides. Like, you're <laughs> back. It happens yeah. multiple times every single game. It's like it, that happens at the high school level. You check with the ref, and the fact and so okay. There's also the cliche football expression that if you're not coaching it, you're allowing it to happen, and stuff like that is like the small detail stuff that if it like falls on the, the assistant coaches, it ultimately falls on Dennis Allen for not demanding that level of accountability from the assistant coaches who then in turn demand it from their players. Like we talked about him a few episodes ago, like Cody Burns, our wide receivers coach who like has barely been like, this is his first job in the NFL was like a college wide receiver coach for a few years at like Auburn, his alma mater, and then Tennessee. Like it was Dennis Allen's call to like pluck this guy out of college football and put him on the big stage and have him be like Chris Olave and Rashid Jaheed's mentor. I mean, Mike's a pro. Mike Thomas is a pro. He doesn't really need like to be micromanaged like that. But like it all, it all comes back to the head coach fairly or not. Like, you were the figurehead, you're the CEO, you're the face and voice of the organization. And it's just, Dennis Allen's not that guy. Like, yeah. I it, honestly don't think he's doing anything. <laughs> like, I don't. I like, I'm even going to throw it all the way back to like Jim Mora being like, we didn't do diddly poo on offense. Like, yeah. we haven't done diddly poo on offense this entire year. And he's not acting like that. He's acting like we're the crazy ones. Yeah. Well, we're being gaslit. <laughs> Sean, do you remember what Coach Stu, Coach Nelson Stewart to the uninitiated, our, our head football coach at Newman, do you remember what he made us do every time someone committed a penalty? Because no. I do. Every time there was a penalty in a game, Oh, up-downs. Team up-downs. The whole team got punished for it. We had to do up-downs at the end of practice, and it fucking sucked. It was miserable. Yeah. But, like, there's a reason why this school full of, like, vaguely Jewish white people that are all five foot seven wins and goes to the playoffs every year. It's because... We do up-downs after penalties, and because of that, we don't commit them. We know the playbook. We go to the weight room. If you missed a day of lifting weights at Newman, your playing time was, like, in question. Like, the little details like that mattered. It's insane. Like, I haven't played football in 17 years, but I remember 
the three penalties that I committed, I remember the three plays. One of them was 18 years ago. Like, yeah. if, if a fucking 16-year-old kid can be taught to be that disciplined, why is the coach making millions of dollars who was at the, the head, who was the figurehead of a franchise worth upwards of a billion dollars at this point? A beloved, iconic piece of all, our culture. Like, why can't he get 54 of the best athletes in the world to do the same thing? Yeah. Why can't he do that? Yeah. It's on one hand, it's like, oh, you know, there's like the CBA and like these guys are like all millionaires. Most of them make more money than the the coach. And it's like, how are, how do you instill like discipline in like these when the power dynamics are are off like that? It's like, well some NFL coaches have it figured out. Like Sean Payton had it fucking figured out for 15 years. <laughs> like the good coaches find a way. And I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be an NFL coach. It's hard to be a good NFL coach. There's like only like probably 10 of them in the world at any <laughs> given time. But if you're an organization that like likes to hold itself as a, true contender and i mean and i mean shoot like the way we aggressively spend always up against the salary cap and like these really aggressive contract structures like the saints have done for a decade plus now like that's an organization that wants to contend for championships every year and if you're that type of organization like you feel like you deserve to have an elite football coach and I just, by like really any objective measure, we don't have that right now. And it's 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 just so funny because it's the same it's the same as it's always been that like the NFC South is so bad that mediocrity and two steps forward, one and a half steps back is probably good enough the rest of the year to win this division. And then we'll probably like lose a home playoff game or whatever, but I don't know. Um, it is what it is, man. <laughs> but even if you knew you weren't a good head coach, you could still have the wherewithal to hire better people around you to That's make right. you look better. That's I would right. be I would actually be impressed with Dennis Allen if we found out that he got on the phone with Ken Dorsey and was like, We'll give you whatever you want, come to New Orleans. Yeah. But we know he's not gonna Same. do that. He's not gonna right. Yeah. Um I mean, really, it like couldn't have happened at like a better time, to be honest, like if he wanted to do that. But he already said in his press conference, we're not making any staff changes. So um I God, I I would, it's like he knows what we don't want to hear, and then he's like, I'm going to say that right away. Right. <laughs> and like, he's not – like, I don't think he's dumb. I just think he's really stubborn and yeah. um, is just incredibly set in his ways, which is like a stereotype of defensive coaches even more so than offensive coaches. So, I don't know. It's just, It's just frustrating. We're just like in this – purgatory and 
like what's most fucked up about the Bills thing, and then we can move on, is like we talked about it already. It's not even Ken Dorsey's fault. Right. Like they have so much shit there. Like they've not been the same since the 13 seconds yeah. loss. Like they just haven't been. And then the DeMar Hamlin stuff, like they've got a lot on their back when they already had the like fans on their back being like, Oh my God, we want this so much. Like we never yeah. had a Super Bowl, Like we want it. And it's like, they just can't, they're like crumbling under that spot. Like, like you see Josh Allen, he's like forcing all the stuff. Like it's hard for them. It's not the coach's fault. Yeah. And, but they know that they have these expectations. So they're trying to do something to be like, we're doing something. See, like, we're trying to live up to your expectations, even though it's like completely not what the issue is. And like the scenes are doing the opposite of that. They're like, yeah, you have all these great expectations, but like everything's fine. Like you're wrong. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say something regrettable if we keep talking about this. All right. I'm let's get move on. Canceled. I, I will. I will say this about the Jameis Carr thing. I am hoping that Carr is out for many weeks. Like, I hope he goes on and lives a healthy life after this football season. But, like, even though Jameis throws a bunch of picks and is careless, at least he takes the shots. Mm, Yep. And there's been a lot of tweeting going on where people are freeze-framing, like, the All-22 film on these plays where Derek Carr is holding the ball and getting sacked. And there's, there are players that are like wide open that he's just not seeing or deciding not to throw to. And like, God, it was Jameis was making plays. He was throwing balls that should have been picked things that are like fundamentally like wrong for quarterbacks to do. Like across across your body body for 50 yards. Yeah. To a rookie for his first NFL touchdown. Yeah. (laughs) But it worked. It worked. But it was, I was alive. Yeah. I was like, this is so thrilling. Yeah. Thank you for trying. The old old Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And I would rather have a chance. I would rather be given a chance, even if it's goofy and done the wrong way. Like just, I think the locker room is behind Jameis too. My theory. I'm, that would just be the perfect. I, I like, think we, if, if Jameis would win a game, then, then yeah, I think there could be some controversy. He didn't have a, yeah, I know he, but he almost did. Yes. That the, his first pick was like an arm punt. And like we blew the protection and yeah. it honestly was like probably the right play. Yeah. Maybe he, he got crushed. throw it up, try to get a pass interference maybe. But uh, that, his second pick was like inexcusable and like why he's not a starter. Like, yeah, that's, it was, it was very but bad. That, Cause like, that's the experience. Right. Yeah. It's experience. Wouldn't you but, rather that than like a three and out where Derek Carr, like slowly sacks himself three times. So, or like checks so, yeah. it down to Alvin Kamara every single time for like one yard. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> to that point, I mean, and Jacob, you, you, you mentioned it, but the worst example of Derek Carr, not pulling the trigger, as they say, was that one play? I don't remember when in the game exactly it was. I mean, obviously it was before he got hurt, but um, I think it was in our, the third. It was in the third quarter. It was a third okay. down. It was like yeah. third and one or something. Right. Well, so I'm. I don't know if that's the play I'm thinking of, but the one I'm thinking of is both of our outside receivers 
were like immediately open. They basically like busted both coverages. The Vikings both busted both coverages on the outside receivers. Um, and either one of them were open for like at least a 30 yard gain, maybe a touchdown, both, both of them. And Carr didn't see it and ended up like trying to move around in the pocket and fumbled. We recovered it. Uh, Cesar Ruiz recovered it, but it was a sack fumble. Um, and if he had seen either one of those options, we'd probably score a touchdown. And like that play was just so egregious that I don't know, man. Um, I mean, I'm willing, I'm still willing to give, I'm like, I'm not like out on Derek Carr. I, I don't think this, the staff has helped him. I don't think the O-line for at least the beginning part of the year was helping him. Um, but, it, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely possible that he just can't at least very least he can't run this offense. So at some point we need to decide whether we are more committed to this offense, AKA P Carmichael or Derek Carr, the $150 million, whatever. And I know it's not really that much like in actual money, but the big money quarterback, you know, and I'd honestly say like, I'd rather keep Carr and change the offense. Like, I feel like the offense needs to be changed anyway. So, um, yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's true. But I mean, apparently we're going to have like whole rest of the season to go back and forth on that. And, and then it's just like, it's so hard because I don't know if it's car's fault or the coaching fault or both, but like, it feels like we just go out there like crossing our fingers that this play is going to work without real like intention behind anything. Mm-hmm. which is why the Jameis injection was so invigorating. Cause I feel like he was like, well, I'm just going to make this happen. Yeah. Like without like overthinking, like, I don't know. There's just something about the way this offense goes out there. It's like every yard is like pain. Mm-hmm. And then you watch other offenses. Like, like there was actually just this one throw to Michael Thomas. That was like old school slant boy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, wow. Like, that was yeah. what we used to do. Like, it was just, like, easy looking. And, like, but that was the only easy thing I've seen <laughs> like, this entire year. But it just, like, it took my breath away. Because I was like, oh, wow. It's like, is it 2019? Yeah. But, the like, way other Brees... teams are able to do that. Like, we get no separation. Yeah. And then Carr also can't make a decision. So it's, like, both things are at risk and then like the defense somehow knows that so they know like all he's gonna do is dump it to Kamara at the line of scrimmage and we're gonna get one yard. Yeah. The way Breeze ran the offense was like it's it's like when you speak another language fluently, you just don't think about it. Like you think yeah. in that language. Yeah. Um and he would throw to spots and just trust that the receiver would be there. And right. for whatever reason, Carr can't do that. I don't know if he doesn't understand the concepts or if his processing is just like a split second too slow. But there's some of it that but that's why I come back to coaching and Sean, you're right. Like it's not all on Carr because 
the receivers fuck up too. Like sometimes I feel like they're like miscommunicating on routes and like, it's like, but none of those things happen at the same time. It's like car will throw to the wrong place and the receiver's like, what the fuck? Or like the receivers are like running different routes and cars like, what the fuck? like nobody's yeah. doing the right thing at the right time. <laughs> Most of the time. Right. Unless we get Taysom, sorry, this is my last point. Unless <laughs> we get Taysom going and then we use play action, but we do that not even close to enough. I, I would not be opposed to a game plan that's just like Taysom has 40 carries. Or yeah. at least is just is impose your up, will. Or is just lined up in a way that the defense has to react to him potentially carrying it. As yeah. we know, he only needs yeah. to carry it seven times. But put him out there in some sort of formation. We don't need Derek Carr in the shotgun 95% of the time. It's not working. Sean, you look like you want to say something. Oh, yeah, just like run Taysom into the ground. Um, I That's what I've been saying for like two years now. But it's like more obvious than ever. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it all comes back to people believing that people that like their coworkers and subordinates are going to do things differently eventually and like improve when, I mean, like say Mickey, Mickey Loomis gave that like talk to the media last week in like a round table or something. And he was like, you know, yeah, the results haven't been good, but like we're close, you know, and we just got to like, it, it keep whatever like we're, we're gonna break through and it's just basically like a macro level echo of what dennis allen always says like just keep doing what we're doing and like we just got to keep working on the small things and things like that and like he obviously believes that pete carmichael is going to like turn the corner and mickey loomis obviously believes that dennis allen's going to turn the corner but at some like at what point do you like cut bait at what point do you like accept that like someone might be in over their skis? Um, I don't know. It's it's just like very frustrating as a fan. Yeah. I just what I hate, and then I feel like we've been all rambling because we're very emotionally angry. But maybe we can cut this into two weeks since we have by next week. But like, I feel like a lot of coaches are on the hot seat in like less shitty situations yeah yeah and nobody is talking about dennis allen on the hot seat except the fans yelling about a change at like the coordinator position we were yelling for his ass last year but like like people are like arthur smith's on the hot seat it's like why if he's on the hot seat then dennis allen's seat should be on fire yeah yeah well like, arthur smith is pretty, he's pretty awful <laughs> He, uh, but like he has, he's I, I don't care. He has less talent than we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in a second, a slightly more difficult schedule, and like people are calling even for Brian Dable, who's coach of the year last year. Yeah, yeah, and they, and Dable has no talent. There's no Not talent on zero. the Giants roster, and they lost. Mac Jones for the year, right? Like he's not coming Daniel back. Jones, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's not coming back. Well, yeah, they're actually Nobody wants Mac like Jones a, anyway. No, they're gonna be in a hilarious position where they're gonna have the number one pick. 
and they have $67 million of dead cap on Daniel Jones if they don't keep him next year. But, like, Nick, how can you not take Caleb Williams? Yeah. So it's going to be awkward. But either way, like, people are calling for his ass because it is they, – they are shitty. And, like, yeah, you have – you have injuries and like whatever, but they were shitty before he got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I just, I'm, I'm not understand. Like it's, it's gotten to a point where even like the commonplace fan is like, Oh yeah, well they're not going to get rid of him. So like, we're just not even going to mention it. Or like they're good with being mediocre. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I have to pee pee really bad. So <laughs> I think it's time to go. Uh, well, we played the Falcons in two weeks, so the pooper bowl of the NFC South. <gasps> the loser will probably uh, get fired at the end of the year because they'll be in a deep hole in the divisional race. But uh, that one's going to be a pillow fight. Um, okay. Black and Gold BS is brought to you by AGI Specialty Valves the pump protection valve experts with over 35 years of experience. AGI specialty valves is the number one supplier of automatic recirculation valves for pump protection. Don't let preventable pump failures cost you contact AGI specialty valves at 832-485-0003 or info at agivalves.com. Zapardo's family market, the perfect blueprint for good ownership. They listen, <laughs> they listen to their customers, make changes and aren't afraid of a fire sale. Unlike the ownership on Airline Drive. Womp, 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 indeed. <sighs> All right. <laughs> For Allison and Sean, I'm Jacob. And until next time. Hopefully. I mean, all this shit that we talked about. I mean, I hope we beat the Falcons. Because I don't oh, yeah. be sad. Yes. Um, yeah. But until then, who dat? Who dat? Who dat?